1: What's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm sad we're not going to be able to watch the Sabres for five months. (sighs) So, so very sad. Taylor, of course, is saying this as the Sabres season came to an end. And boy, oh boy, Taylor, the Sabres were one goddamn win away from making the playoffs. (laughs) Sabres, of course, finished with 91 points. They finished truly above 500 as... They won their season finale against the Columbus Blue Jackets, recording 42 wins. 42, Taylor. The same amount of wins as the Florida Panthers who ended up making it. As I had said before, the Sabres were one win away this season from making the playoffs as they finished just one point back of Florida who finished with 92 points. Several guys on this team, Taylor, ended up having career years. I believe six guys total of players who qualify as veterans ended up having career years this year in terms of their point totals. And all around, there was a lot of highs, there was a lot of lows, there was a lot of streakiness throughout the course of this season, but I think it's undeniable to say that the Sabres made a significant jump this year, finishing with above 90 points just two years after finishing in last place. So. Taylor, give me your thoughts on just, you know, wrapping up the season here and kind of a a high level view at the season as a whole.
0: Yeah, it's important to step back a little bit because like you mentioned, there's, there's some disappointment with not making the playoffs. So it's important to think about that where we were two years ago, probably about two years and a month ago, maybe two years and six weeks ago. We were still doing this podcast twice a week and the Sabres went like seven of our podcast episodes without winning a game um maybe more than that honestly it was bad probably more than that yeah it was they lost like 17 games in a row in the middle of that abbreviated season and it was it was so hopeless it was the, the the drought extending you knew Eichel wanted out uh Reinhardt was not you know people you know thought like Reinhardt um was probably gonna be gone at that time because he hadn't signed a new contract Taylor Hall was a huge bust Eric Stahl sucks uh things like that just like the whole team was like blech another year of Rasmus Ristalainen and it was it was just really brutal to watch and there was, the season ended on i wouldn't say a high note but the season ended better than it started yeah. to say the least that once Granado got in there uh they, they 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 finished the season pretty strong which is crazy cuz they still only won 15 games of 56 it tells mm-hmm. you how bad they were and look where we are 2 years later you mentioned it's 91 points it's the most points they had since last time they made the playoffs in 2011 um they last year were almost 50 points behind the Florida Panthers. They finished one point behind them, I think it was, this year. Yep. It's, yeah, it's, they're right there. They're on the doorstep of the playoffs. And that's with, like we're going to mention, probably all the bad losses they had, the two really bad streaks, one in November, one in March, and frankly, pretty bad goaltending most of the
1: year. Yeah, the vast majority of the year. As we had talked about last episode, I believe it was Eric Comrie and UPL accounted for 52 games this season for the Sabres, which. Oh boy, that's that's thankfully not a number we're gonna have to worry about next year. As of course Devin Levi came along and really helped the Sabers go on that impressive run to end the season, winning six of eight games in April. And uh, you know I talked about it last episode, and I and I think uh, you know there's of course no I don't want to make this seem like participation trophy kind of thing, but I think that there is absolutely something to be said for this team, for the coaching staff, for for both of them that. After that stretch, that two wins in 11 games in March, which obviously ultimately ended up just completely killing their chances at actually making the playoffs but they could have just rolled over and quit after that and they could have lost the steam after that and and just pretty much win like 500 the rest of the way or something like that and just kind of middled along and you know we'd maybe be talking about having you know the ninth or tenth overall uh possibility of having like the ninth or tenth overall selection and then their current drafts position pre, lottery than the 13th. But they didn't do that. They really responded when their backs were against the wall. And the the loss that of course ended up sealing their fate was against New Jersey, which obviously is one of the best teams in the NHL this season. You know, you have obviously a, a superstar in Jack Hughes over there. You have a potential Selkie finalist in Nico Heesher. You have a potential Coach of the Year finalist in Lindy Ruff. So obviously that's a tough one to go down, but they won some pretty important games down the stretch there to keep themselves alive. And I think going back to the beginning of the season, if you were to tell me that this team finished with above ninety points and was one point back of the final playoff spot, I honestly don't know if I would have believed you. I really don't. You wouldn't have believed me. I you Your good personally, friend, Taylor? I I don't believe you about anything that you ever have to say, <laughs> but especially that. It, it, it's remarkable to think that they really did this. And and again, coming into this year, you know, we were talking about, well, Tage had that amazing year last year. Did he max out? You know, what's going to... Turns out, no. Clearly not. Uh, you know, we knew what Tuck was, but Alex Tuck really took his game to a new level. We didn't expect Jeff Skinner. I mean, he had a bounce back last year, but again, it was like, well, is this the start of the decline of his career? He ends up having the most productive year of his career. You have Dylan Cousins, who actually took the step, and maybe even and then some, from what we were hoping from him. And I think the guy that absolutely, positively more than anybody else in this entire organization played his way into being on the team next year, Casey Mittelstadt, with the, the stretch run that he had. He had a, a really not great start to the year, but an incredible finish, almost hitting 60 points. I mean, that is just absolutely remarkable. He had finished with 59 points in 82 games here. He was... Really, he spent most of the year playing in that middle six role, mainly honestly on the third line. Then he gets his shot once Tage gets hurt playing on the top line, and he looked pretty good between Skinner and Tuck. He looked very good actually, like more than serviceable. Like he was really solid there. Is Casey Middlesead a first line center? Obviously not, but he proved his worth here. And I think at the very least, he proved that. He belongs, to, he belongs on this team next year, barring a, a really big trade opportunity or something like that, because he greatly increased his value, I think, with how well his season went. But, but I, I say that both trade value and value to this team moving forward. So it's an interesting spot with him too, because he is going into the last year. Next year will be the last year of his current contract. So not really having to worry about getting an extension done or anything like that right now. And I, quite frankly, don't think that that's something that you need to worry about right now. I think that this is different from a Cousins situation or a Tage situation or a, a Darlene situation this summer where you want to get out ahead of it and just get it done. I would much rather like to see how Casey Middlesat starts his next season and really see what kind of player we get next year before making that commitment because ultimately you made those couple of moves in in Cousins and Thompson that were, you know, you're banking on the future. Middlestad isn't really that guy, though, and I don't think that there needs to be a rush with that, but that's kind of getting ahead of us here. So, you know, I kind of just gave a bit of a brief overview, Taylor. Can you talk a little bit, though, about some of the guys who impressed this year, some of the guys who you know, maybe outside of, you know, the six who surpassed that 50-point mark this year, maybe even some of the guys, you know, throughout the roster who you were impressed with this year, but including those guys as well, though, too, some of those star players for this team and the important guys here. What were your, some of your main takeaways from this season?
0: Yeah, like you mentioned, I think the six guys having their career best and so many guys like Tej and Dalian especially getting so much attention, it's hard to highlight everyone, which kind of makes me think, uh, I've been coming around to the idea that the most underrated jump in one of the biggest and most important things for the future uh that happened was cousins season cousins is a 30 goal scorer now yep he if you remember his first couple of years even though he was good he was not very productive and him playing with these young guys he really was the anchor of that line and he yeah i mean he's almost a point of game guy not quite a point of game but he's still physical he's still good like in transition and he scored 30 goals like that's huge and i know it, he's not like some diamond in the rough he was a top 10 pick but I think it's pretty clear. It's getting more and more clear the Sabres made the right pick there.
1: For sure. Uh,
0: against all odds, and, Jason
1: macho made the right pick. And, and several teams ahead of the Sabres made the wrong pick, too. That's right, Detroit. And L.A. And oh, Chicago.
0: Yeah. I, I, I pointed out the, probably the person who is um, The best of those three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever. It's Cider's fine, but come on. Yeah. You'd rather have cousins. For sure. Uh, yeah, so he, he his season was like electric, I thought, but you just couldn't it's just not as spectacular as Tager Dalin, so it didn't get that kind of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one I wanted to mention is Tuck, because Tuck is not just... Coming into the season, I thought Tuck is like a glue guy. He's a guy that can play on your first or second line, but he probably wouldn't be the guy on a top line. Uh, he does everything well, all that stuff. Tuck's like a star. Mm-hmm. Point-a-game guy, more than 30 goals. Uh, he's the most reliable... Probably defensive player in the top six.
1: Yeah, I would agree with and that. And he's
0: also the most um malleable, I would say. Mm-hmm. Now, like, he just works with anyone. And he made Tage better. He's made Skinner better. And, like, his goal the other day, unbelievable. He's just Crazy. so strong in the puck. So, yeah, he outscored Eichel this year. He was, he's not, I don't know if he would, you would say Tuck was the main, there was no real main center of the package in the Eichel deal. But, yeah, I, I didn't think he was going to be a point of game guy. and. And playing as well as he is, so those are the two guys I really wanted to highlight. You don't need me to tell you that T.H. had a good year.
1: Well, we should also talk about Skinner, I think, too, for the sake <laughs> that, yeah, he had thirty-five goals, amazing, but really adding a. Five on five playmaking component to his game that was not there before. We've talked at length about how good of a five on five player that Skinner is in terms of like shot generation and high danger chances. We've also discussed he's got some deficiencies when it comes to his role on the power play, and I think that that's something that really needs to be revisited in the offseason. But man, 47 assists for Jeff Skinner that is no joke, like that's extremely impressive. And it was you would see it constantly, I think, in part can be attributed to the chemistry that he has with Tuck and Tage but you were seeing him really carve out a side of his game that we have really not seen before in his time as a saber and really just throughout his career in general I mean prior to this year he had that you know he had 47 assists this year his most assists prior to this was in his rookie season and he had 32 that's an increase of 15 assists
0: wow which and what is amazing did he have his first year in buffalo
1: He had 40 goals and 23 assists. Last year, he had 33 and 30. So 30 assists last year. But yeah, his second most ever was as a rookie. As an 18-year-old, he had 32. And now, as he's going on 30 years old, he puts up 47 and is also for the first time in his career above a point-per-game player. I mean, it's remarkable what he's been able to do. And I think that we. it's also worth pointing out that a couple of things. One... I would say this year, definitively, we kind of started to see last year a little bit with him being like, wow, maybe, you know, the contract isn't as bad. He performed up to a $9 million player this year, I would think. I I would say pretty confidently. I mean, being above a point per game, his, and it all coming really at five on five. I think that, you know, it would have, I don't know if I would have, again, like two years ago when they finished in last place, if you would have told me that two years from now we'd be like yeah Skinner is worth the money I do not think I would have believed that statement when it was said at that point I would have thought that he would have been able to bounce back but it bounced back to a degree of similar to like a Pozo where it's like two years ago and in, in, into last year uh, is this guy worth six million dollars no probably not but he's not you're, you're not sunk by this contract it's not killing you and now I'm not sitting here and saying that $9 million for Jeff Skinner at 30 years old is a bargain or anything like that, but it's really not a tough pill to swallow anymore. Like It's worth it, and I think coinciding with that is the fact that Skinner plays a style that I think is going to age gracefully as he continues through these next four years of his contract, and so got to give props to him. I, I think... You know, it's clearly not him being reliant on Tucker, being reliant on Tage because he's shown he can play with Middlestad as his center. He's shown that he can play with Cousins a bit too in limited minutes, obviously. So, really, really exciting year for Jeff Skinner. Let's get into some of the guys outside what of was this. I just want to say about Skinner. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Anti credit. Okay. To Ralph Krueger. Yeah. Because the rest of
0: his career, Skinner, uh, he was up and down goals-wise in Carolina. But, you know, at, at his best, he was great. He's a great goal scorer. One of the best 5-on-5 scorers in the league. And he played this certain style It worked his first year in Buffalo, too. Uh, he had 40 goals playing under Housley. And Krueger, like, looked at him as someone who he has been a good scorer, not a good defender his whole career. And was like, we need this guy to play within this very specific system. Skinner is, like, a little, like... He's like a, a little goblin that thrives on chaos. Like, when you watch him, like there's a, first of all, there's a reason other teams get so pissed off at him. But he also, like, I don't know, look at his goals. They're not structured plays. Mm-hmm. Like, it's he, he really... That's why he can be so deadly around the net, because he really thrives he's on... He's a
1: free-flowing kind of player. Yeah,
0: and that's honestly what makes him probably not a great power play player, too. Mm-hmm. Like, power plays have to be structured by their nature. And why he can sometimes be... In overtime, he's hit or miss, because sometimes overtime is, hey, you playing your three-on-three style is it working... And sometimes overtime is just insane, and that's when Mm -hmm. he he kind of thrives in overtime. But he's, yeah, it's, of course he was going to be, like, maybe not this good, but of course he was going to be, like, good if you just let him do what he always did. Right. I I don't, how valuable could he have possibly have been as, like, playing in that system? Like, what did Ralph Kruger think was going to happen? So I don't and, like and think that
1: Ralph Krueger is a moron. Well, a moron. And it was clearly had to be something personal with it, too. I, I mean, you don't just like bury a career 30 goal scorer on the fourth line just because. And especially when you're walking into a situation where the guy scored 40 goals yeah. right before you showed up. And it's funny to think, too, about Kruger because thinking back, to, I mean, to his eventual last season in Buffalo, that team, in hindsight, it's horrible that they were the the worst team in the league. You had, obviously, Skinner that he was misusing, but you also have Taylor Hall, Jack, Sam Reinhart. You had a young Dylan Cousins. You had Olofsson. You, and the back end, I mean, Brandon Montour, I think, is another example of a guy who yep. just absolutely fired Ralph Kruger into the sun because can you imagine having the Florida Panthers current version of Brandon Montour in this Sabres defensive system with Granado at the helm can you imagine that top four a Samuelson Daleen power and Montour kind of top four wow that would be insane I mean Montour is like a legitimate number two option now in Florida for a playoff team didn't he I think he hit 60 points this year like did he lead them in scoring come I on. think they're I think their getting
0: scores are him and Reinhardt which is, yeah. It's, I'm going to
1: double-check that, but...
0: Yeah, it's, it's somewhere up there. But yeah, that's that's another good example. And obviously, Dalene was there, too. Yeah, that, that team being the worst team in the league. I think someone pointed that out on Twitter today. It's ridiculous, but on the other hand, Hall was <laughs> not good at all, and Eichel was playing injured for a lot of the year. So you did, you did lose two of those guys like almost right away. Their third line center was Cody Eakin. Their second line center was Stahl, who was yeah awful. I can't believe he's still in the league. But that's
1: the thing is that their second line center was Stahl, third line center was Eakin, but you were playing cousins on the wing at that point. You had Skinners on the fourth Skinner on the fourth line. So again, like I'm not saying that that's like a, a world beater yeah. kind of team, but that's a team that could have <laughs> been a lot better than last place. Was it also Skinner
0: Jurgensen's and Reeder on the fourth line.
1: I sadly think that's correct that's ridiculous. so you did something just now that i did in our last quiz and forgot about a, a young fella named matthew kachuk for the <laughs> panthers yeah
0: okay <laughs> that's right The guy that 100 points yeah
1: 109 points in 79 games followed by barkov 78 points in 68 games carter verhage 73 points in 81 games brandon montour 80 games played 73 points for Brandon Montour. And then Sam Reinhart rounded out the top five with 67 points in 82 games. So another great year from Reinhardt as well. Montour was getting top-line minutes, though. 24 minutes a night for Brandon Montour. And of that 73 points that he had, 33 were on the power play.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess that wouldn't really come in handy for the Sabres as much just because they have two really good power play. Uh, defenseman
1: they do but well, I mean, yeah, just I mean, more the, the fact that he was able to do that and also for what it's worth i mean he missed parts of the year but aaron ekblad when he was healthy was operating as the power play one quarterback too that's right yeah so is that guy ever gonna play full season again uh, you think. god i really don't know nor do i think so yeah i mean he played 71 games this year but it feels like he played so so much fewer yeah montour led the panthers in ice time this year that is wild well, Montour
0: is an interesting one. I think it's different than Skinner because we saw so little of him. Right. He was the uh, F- Phil Halsey's last year. Uh, they traded for him at the deadline. I believe they traded a first for him that they got from yep. the, the Evander Kane trade. Yep. And he was like, I don't know. I, I, he was fine to close out the year. It was 10 games at the end of a, a failed season that no one liked. So yeah. I don't think he made a big impression. And then, you know, Kruger shows up the next year and they totally misused him, which everyone said. But I was also like, I don't really remember him in Anaheim that well. So I had no real reason to think he was this good. But you know who should have known that? The NHL coach who was watching the (laughs) practice every day. Unbelievable. This Ah. this guy's insane. It's crazy. He coached in this this little mini era that had Ron Rolston, Ted Nolan, uh, Bilesman was fine, and Housley. I remember we had Housley, I was like, is this guy worse than Ted Nolan? And then the next coach was somehow worse. It's insane. He stands out so clearly as the worst coach. Those are probably the four worst coaches in Sabres history. Can you
1: believe... That there is a real conversation to be had about whether you would want to have Ralph Kruger or Ted Nolan as your head coach.
0: I think I'd rather have Nolan. He didn't I think piss I people off too. as much. I mean, he pissed off Hashik the first time around. Well, that's a little different. Though. Yeah, but I mean, just I keep see, people, the wives out of it. Yeah, I think people liked <laughs> Nolan on the team. Generally. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. He seems like
1: a good guy. But you who know, the hell could have liked Kruger. I mean, I think it's also you know who liked him. Similarly unlikable guy. Actually, yeah, Taylor Hall.
0: I was going to say, you know, Taylor Hall, yes, but also Jack. Jack, yeah, Jack, Jack liked, liked him, him
1: a lot. You're right. Well, I, I, I think it's also interesting to think about what the dynamic between him and Granado must have been, because Granado so is the weird. antithesis of him. Anyway, yeah, though. God, Ralph
0: Krueger hired Granado as yeah, assistant.
1: Yeah, 100%. Let's get into some of the other guys, though, down the lineup here. We talked about, obviously, the, the top six scorers this year, but there were some other guys who also had really strong years this year. Mainly, let's let's turn this conversation over to the young guys now. Owen Power, very likely to finish in the top three in Calder voting. Probably not going to win. It seems like it's Maddie Beniers is to lose now at this point. But a, a hell of a rookie season for him where he looked really strong. He ended up finishing with 35 points this year, which is great. I think that that's, again, like the offensive side of his game is something that's going to get flushed out as he continues to mature, continues to get acclimated to the NHL level. But again, there was so many points throughout this season, like countless points throughout this year, where Power would just make these plays that were that of a a savvy, like eight-year veteran in the league, like a a star player kind of play, and he just has that it factor to him where... He just has, uh, you know, there's obviously times where, of course, he looked like a rookie this year, but I would say it was far more often than not that he looked like he was a established NHL defenseman on this team. Additionally, Jack Quinn obviously had a a really great year when it came to just his overall development and growth. He finished with 37 points this year, 14 goals and 23 assists in 75 games. He, of course, had a little bit of a stretch uh, a couple months back where he had to take a couple games in the press box just due to him slumping a little bit. Again, I think that can maybe be attributed to something we talked about a bit with some of these young guys where it's just the, the pressure and the, the length of an NHL schedule kind of catching up to them and really not experiencing that many games before. But I thought Quinn finished the year really strong. And I think it's a similar thing to Cousins from the last couple of years where your first couple of years starting off, you're not necessarily looking for that immediate eye-popping production But you're looking to see the pieces come together. You're looking to see what the full toolkit is and how he's able to utilize it and then how he's able to add to it as the year has gone on. And that has, I think, really been the case for Jack Quinn. He has just impressed me so much when thinking back to some of his earlier games this year when he was still looking really good, obviously, but just... We've been talking about a lot. The confidence that he plays with, the offensive creativity is is off the charts and you're starting to see him again, those two things coming together where it's the, the creativity and the confidence. And I think next year is going to be really exciting and this off season for him is going to be huge because I want to see how those two things are really going to connect. And in addition to that too, I, I love the fact that he's starting to develop a little bit of like that kind of Jeff Skinner streak in him where he's a little bit chippy, he's talking some shit a little bit, he's getting mixed up, he's When there's scrums going on, you see him in there. And that you weren't seeing that from him in the beginning of the year, like at all. It was almost like he was kind of avoiding it. But then as the year gone, really over the past month or month and a half, which again, if that coincides with the stakes getting a little bit higher, I love that in one of these young guys. And the final thing I will say on Jack Quinn is again, I I really truly feel this way that when the confidence and the creativity come together. We could be looking at a perennial 35 to 40 goal score, maybe in the vein of like an Adrian Kempe a little bit. Um, That kind of guy, which would be great. If Jack Quinn turns into Adrian Kempe, that would be amazing.
0: This is a good example of scoring this year, which by the way, I'm going to have some stats on Thursday about scoring being so high this year, not just for the Sabres, but for everyone. Kempe had 40 goals this year. Yeah. I think he's the first guy to have 40 as a king in... I think more than 20 years. I saw this stat. In Buddy, NBA he,
1: way. I'm pretty sure, had 40 last year, too. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I think it's something like he he's the highest single-season guy since Gretzky, maybe? Let's see. Could Kempe ended
1: up finishing with 41 goals in 82 games this year. And last season, he had 35, actually. So he had 35 goals last year. So, again, if that's what Jack Quinn can end up... And, and I'll say this, too. I think Jack Quinn also... I mean, Kempe had 26 assists this year. He had 19 last year. Obviously, that doesn't tell the whole story of his game or anything like that, but I really like Jack Quinn's playmaking ability as well. I think that definitely ties into the offensive creativity because Quinn, I think, is going to be a guy, and I think this is kind of similar to Kempe too, where... One of the things that I really like about him with watching him is his off-puck positioning, and I think that was something that really got better as the year went on. I think it was one of his huge strengths in Rochester last year, and I, I really thought I saw that grow a lot as the year went on. So if he's able to continue to hone that while also zeroing in a little bit more on some of his playmaking ability there, I mean, again, like that's a really, really nice piece to have in the system and in my mind. Quinn established himself as a—and not that this was something that we were thinking about really much anyways to begin with, but, like, he is an uh, like a untouchable core piece of this team moving forward with how good he looked this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. He definitely also has good chemistry, which will help with the playmaking, but good chemistry with Paterka, kind of Krebs, too, mm-hmm. Cousins.
1: like Tage, even, he looked good with, yeah, too, yeah, while definitely. Tuck was
0: out. Yeah, that, that that's honestly a good comparison with, hopefully, more assists, like you said. Uh, but yeah, honestly, a very, very positive uh, rookie year for him. And he's another guy who, like, like, hey, two years ago, remember this? Like, we were pretty down on him. A lot of people were. I thought his... it was
1: a colossal mistake, that pick. I, a lot of people did. Yeah, yeah and
0: he's just got consistently gotten better, like, every year. It's like, he's just gone from, like, he could barely play in the AHL because the season was all weird, but he wasn't good when they did play, to he was, like, an incredible player last year in the AHL, to a good um, middle six rookie rookie in the NHL very quickly. Great, he was a top-ten pick, but still.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about a couple of the other young guys you mentioned there, and J.J. Paterka and Peyton Krebs, both of which had their up-and-down moments throughout the year and I think had a bit of different paths, though. With Paterka, of course, had a really strong start to the year. The kid line looked great. He, Like you mentioned, the, the chemistry with, with Quinn and Cousins was was excellent he had his struggles too though I think his were to a bit of a, a greater extent than Quinn uh, just in terms of again that kind of middle of the season and just really not looking like he was with it or maybe he's tired from again like the the rigorous travel schedule and just getting accustomed to that because it it absolutely is a thing and it's not something you can hold against a guy when it's their first time getting like used to that kind of a travel regimen but yeah, I thought what that... what did he
0: play in last year? He was... Oh, in he was the in the A. A. Yeah, he year. was in yeah, the A last
1: true. year, yeah. And then Krebs, additionally, uh, I thought he he was maybe the most... Not surprising, because Casey, I think, was the most surprising this year, but Krebs was probably second in terms of the most surprising in terms of him being able to round out the defensive side of his game. Now, obviously, some of that's attributed to him playing with def- defense-first players in Gergensons and Oppozo, but... I really liked his game and I liked how he rounded it out. And I think my big thing with crabs going into next year is that you cannot have him in a fourth line role. I think that you need to get him with some goal scores, at least a goal score so that he's able to utilize some of his, his speed, some of his, you know, his skating ability, his playmaking. I mean, again, we, we talked about it several times throughout the year. He had like Reinhardt esque assists where it's like he has eyes in the back of his head and, and again, you can't say enough about the fact that this is a guy that was a pure skill player and one of the big knocks on him from when he was coming out of the draft into him being a prospect of Vegas into his time beginning with Buffalo was that he really did not have any kind of a physical side to his game. And I think he changed the perception of that greatly this year, especially oh, no when you look at his, how strong he was on the boards. I mean, I was so impressed because either way, like strength is one thing, but like he's a small guy at the end of the day and he was so good in puck battles on the boards in the offensive zone and being able to make something out of nothing there so what are your thoughts on on Paterka and Krebs Taylor they both finished the season stronger than they started it and well more specifically to Paterka
0: finished the season stronger than he was in the middle he was like pretty consistent score in the last few weeks of the season like I felt like he was really finding his offensive game and like I said he's uh good good to pair with Quinn, I think it's also remember it's worth remembering that he's not like Quinn or Cousins or Middlestead. He wasn't the top 10 pick. Yep. He's a second-round guy, so he's another guy that in less than three years has really come a, a long way. And that's, again, with a year that's kind of destroyed by COVID. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I think I see Paterka and, and Krebs both. I guess Paterka is more of a middle six, quote-unquote, guy. Yeah. But, yeah, Krebs, it's important. And you have to remember that not every prospect is going to— and not every good NHL player is going to just be a guy that scores 40 goals— like Krebs is gonna be uh, an ideal bottom six guy. It right. seems like that's 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 the big thing. And there's this has been a thing people have talked about multiple times. But basically every NHL player, forwards especially, were huge goal scorers wherever they started. They were you know let's say they were I don't know when they played Bantam or whatever they call that in Canada. Yeah. Or the whatever they get through juniors. Like there's very few guys who aren't like great scores that are forwards that get drafted. But then you get to the NHL. Not everyone can be a great scorer, mm-hmm. uh, so that you you have to kind of uh, adapt your game. And so, I think sometimes guys just can't do that. They think like, no, I'm going to score 40 here too, and that never works out. I think a good example is actually Curtis Lazar, mm-hmm. former Saber. He was a pretty big draft pick, wasn't he? He was a big prospect. With he was Ottawa. a first rounder, yeah. And then he came to the NHL. It was good for like half a year, and then really fell off. And I think he probably had a ceiling physically. And then just totally reinvented himself, and it's like, well, he'll probably be around for a good while as, like, yeah. a, a bottom six guy. Um, I think Matt Collins is another good example. Yeah, he did That mid-career. So, like, guys like uh, Krebs are valuable. Cause also, like, to be honest, as much as I like the Sabres this year, their forwards are not good in their own zone. Mm-mm. I mean, that's probably a little bit of youth, but, like, Krebs doing it, uh, Krebs being as defensively responsible as he was, huge revelation. And, you know, he's a good locker room guy. Like, he's tough and scrappy. Like, as much as I don't think you need fighters anymore in the NHL, you do need someone, you know, who will stand up for their teammates and be, you know, hard to play against. Uh, And then Paterka, I guess I would also, what I would say with him is he's almost more valuable because how well Quinn plays with him. Mm -hmm. So both uh, good uh, report cards for
1: them, too. Yeah. Honestly. Absolutely. So let's round out the forwards here. Uh, We'll make this one brief. Has Victor Olsen played his last game in a Sabres uniform?
0: Yes, Uh, I I appreciate that he gave us one last gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone should pick that up next year, ideally someone
1: who scores a lot as their goal song. (laughs) It would be nice. It would be nice. It'll be interesting to see what Olofsson ends up going for in a trade, because I don't think there's any way that he's going to be on this team next year, especially when you have the possibility of Coolidge and Savoy knocking on the door with limited forward spots as it is. We'll get to that more once we get more into the offseason. But the last thing I want to talk about within the forwards is 28 and 21, Zembis Gergensens and Kyle Oppozo. So, both of them had pretty predictable years when it came to production and impact and everything like that. You knew what you were going to get with Zemgis, where you were going to get that quality defensive play. Being able to go out there in some tough matchups and just being able to hold it down. Good penalty killer. He was all of those things and more. Opozo, the big question with him... His contract is now up. $6 million is going to be coming off the books. Will he retire? Won't he retire? He said in his exit interview that he is not going to play anywhere else aside from Buffalo if he decides to come back. you got to think, just as a courtesy, the Sabres maybe say, hey, you have a one-year deal waiting for you if you want it, and if you don't, you got a job waiting for you. But what are your thoughts on both of those guys, and do you think neither, both, or one of them should be back with the team next year?
0: Well, definitely at least one of them. It seems like some people, media types and people around the team, seem to think that they're both coming back. Or the Sabres would like to have both of them back. That's kind of tough uh, because it's just, like we've mentioned a million times, the Sabres have so many forwards. Yeah. Uh, but they also don't have that many defensive forwards. Uh, Oposo definitely, I would say, slowed down this year, especially compared to last year. Mm-hmm. And it's no surprise. He's a he's an older fella. He's getting up there, and you he's 34, 35 mm-hmm. years old now. As much as I want him to play a playoff game as a Sabre and want him around, if I had to pick, I would pick Gurgensons. Gurgensons is probably better as a defensive forward,
1: not as productive, but he's 28, I believe, 28 mm-hmm. or 29. Like, he'll be back. How about Opozo coaches a playoff game as an assistant on Granado's staff? Yeah, he's a guy I want in the organization, definitely. For so. sure. He could, I mean, I don't know if he'd start in Rochester or whatever, but... Yeah, I'd like him to be around, for sure. So, speaking of which, actually, to, to actually round out the forwards, because as we're talking about limited space in the bottom six, there's two guys that really come into that equation who were acquisitions this year, and I think you and I have uh, the same opinion on these guys, but the opinions on each of them are very different in Tyson Jost and Jordan Greenway. Tyson Jost, I know there was some worry with him down the stretch with him getting... Sat for a couple of games again, just with like that forward rotation. If he was going to want to stick around, the Sabres hold his RFA rights. And he said as well in his exit interview that he wants to be in Buffalo, he doesn't want to play anywhere else. He wants to be here if they'll have him back. And Joe's to me is the perfect fourth line center for this team next year because. He fills the role of being able to be a good defensive forward. He's shown that he can elevate guys who maybe aren't the best defensive players and still be able to kind of make up for that a little bit. But he's also shown that he can if you need him to move up the lineup, he can do so serviceably. Greenway, on the other hand, it's tough because I think we're kind of resigned to having him at this point. You know, you make the you trade a second round pick for him. He's a guy that Granado wanted, and I don't think that they're gonna, you know, just punt on it right now i think investing a second round pick in him pretty much guarantees that he's going to be here next year i don't really care about the fact that it's a second round pick like obviously whatever but we've talked at length about the fact that like they're not going to be able to sign all of these picks that they've accumulated this upcoming draft and the past two drafts as so well those also going to
0: be like the 60th pick
1: right exactly like
0: vegas is good this year. yeah like so at, number one in the
1: west exactly so when it comes down to it I mean, you have something invested in this guy. We'll call it, like, an early third, you know. (laughs) But it just, where does he really fit in the mix? Because assuming that your fourth line is already going to be Joost and one of Opozo or Gergensen's, I mean, you also are going to have to consider, like, Lucas Rusek or Brandon Biro or, like, some of these Rochester guys, Linus Weisbach. if If any of those guys end up trying to push for a spot next year, like... Do you end up going that route? And is there a or scenario, Rosa, honestly, or Isaac It maybe you look to him to fill the Olsen void, but maybe that's actually more like, I think that's probably more likely Coolidge, but uh, uh, Rosine is absolutely a possibility. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I guess, what's your, your thoughts on both of them? You know, it, Jost, are you in agreement that it's a must to bring him back as your fourth line center next year?
0: Uh, not must, but, like, I'd like him back. Well, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I would say with Greenway, by the way, I am genuinely interested to see what a full off season with Granado does for him. Yeah, me too. Uh, but, yeah, Joe's, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have him back. I think he's a good two-way guy. He's got a good pedigree. He was drafted, what, 10th overall? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely interested in him, and he he's played well enough here to earn that. And he's young still. Greenway, yeah, pretty much what I said. I, I'm not thrilled with how he's looked. He's scored more here than he did in Minnesota, but... Uh, he clearly fell out of favor there with Evison, but and he, there hasn't been any problems here. I'm sure he gets along with Granado, but you know, let's see. <laughs> let's see, bud. Yeah. Like that. It's kind of a prove it year for him, right? Next no, year?
1: completely agree. Yeah, it absolutely. is.
0: So, before we get to anything else, do we want to hear words from our sponsors.
1: I actually would love nothing more than that. We we spent some time with and at our sponsor last night, as a matter of fact.
0: That's true. We were at DraftKings headquarters. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy in there. You guys got to check it out. No, it's so, okay. Our first our first sponsor here is DraftKings, uh, and folks, you might know this. It's the NBA playoffs. Uh, Brandon's team won yesterday, my new adopted team, the mm. Knicks one, since the Bulls got eliminated on Friday. Hoops fans. Yeah, I just want to be disappointed, so I'm gonna be a Knicks guy for the playoffs. Alright, so NBA playoff time, that means big hoops action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in on the excitement of every game with a touch of a button. New customers can make a five dollar pre-game money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Plus, everyone can score a no sweat same game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a same game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Uh, one of my friends uh, took my advice on the Heat um, Friday and won the parlay. Hey! Jimmy Butler over 30, and they did beat the Bulls uh, very close at the end. But yikes, that was. The- <laughs> that was kind of painful. More painful than I thought it was yeah. going to be. Uh, but, yeah, so my thought this time uh, for a same-game parlay is I think you, I think we do the same thing with Boston. I know, like, a two-seed is always going to be heavily favored in the playoffs over a seven-seed. But in particular, I think these Hawks are, especially considering their talent, a uh, pretty fraudulent mm. uh, organization. Not, I'm not impressed by them at all. So I think you pick Boston – uh game three in atlanta i think boston's gonna win that you pick a bet money line but i'm gonna have brendan decide who what player uh bet you want to be part of that parlay
1: for boston yeah just like anything yeah let's do what you parlay it with um why don't we do like let's get wild could you do steals yeah maybe like Whatever the over is for steals for Marcus Smart? Sure. Like, All three right. steals, maybe over
0: steals for Smart and Moneyline. Uh I don't like the Celtics, obviously, but this is I think this is really should be a sweep for them.
1: Absolutely Do should. Not,
0: I no respect for Trey Young. No, I'm just kidding. I like mm. whatever. Trey Young's fine, but not not a huge fan of this team. Anyway, download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a five dollar pregame money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Massachusetts, call 800 327 5050 or visit in the Gambling Helpline ma.org. And New York, call 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY at 467 369. And Kansas, call 1 800 522 4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Uh, 21 or over in most eligible states, but that'll vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. Slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific gans- responsible gambling resources. And folks, like Brendan mentioned, our other sponsors, Thin Man Brewery. I was at both both the Thin Men last night. I mm. uh, saw Brendan play at Chandler, and then went to Elmwood briefly uh, before heading out to to see a very talented uh, Thin Man Elmwood GM Cam. Mm. Cam, uh, it turns out, is a DJ.
1: Killing it behind the turntables. Yeah,
0: so I saw him last night. Uh, I was out very late. I'm not feeling great today. <laughs> um yeah, so like, Tin Man's always got a lot going on. Here's uh, something you can look at. They have uh, a brunch club for 2023. So three brunches. One of the brunches was today, but basically what they're saying is, once a month going forward, uh, they're launching a brunch series with... Be Kind City which is a clothing and lifestyle brand I understand uh, there's gonna be music uh, food beer cocktails you know all the classic brunch stuff uh, and the more you go to the more you get so you can get uh, free merch from Be Kind such as uh, a beanie a branded Palo Santo kit I don't know what that is but that sounds expensive so <laughs> you also get a, a a t-shirt windbreaker so you know if you're into that try that out uh, also they have a uh 420 themed beer coming out called Blazed and Confused uh, mm. so that should be interesting that'll be that's coming up so check Thursday. that out right there. You know, it's available at both the Elmwood and Chandler locations and you know of course like we mentioned they have a re- still relatively new menu and uh, cocktails if you want to check that out and I completely forgot until last night that they have Tapo Pizza at the Chandler location <laughs> I always forget that yeah it's so they sure do yeah check that out if you want uh anything else you want to add i mean besides our trivia is coming up a week from today
1: yeah april 24th gonna be a great time that's really the the big one i mean we're we're gonna have the the big beer announcement coming soon so make sure you're keeping your eyes peeled for that one but that's about it on thin man they're just great people great times can't can't go wrong anytime hanging out at thin man do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share
0: uh no, that's pretty much it. Thin Great. Man Brewery.
1: Folks, check it out. All right, let's talk about some defense now, Taylor. So as we had mentioned before, of course, Rasmus Dahlin had his career year. We talked a little bit about Owen Power there, but let's talk about Matias Samuelson for a minute because we ended up finding out he was dealing with multiple injuries, including playing with a broken hand. Yeah. And again, it was a noticeable difference when the Sabres would have Samuelson in the lineup versus not. We had talked at length this season. Everybody had about the difference in record when they have him and what really he does to the defense, what he helps Darlene become. So Samuelson ended up only playing 55 games this year, which is kind of crazy to think about. I mean, for him being such an important piece to this team. So Taylor, give me your thoughts on Samuelson and just again, like his importance to the team and really how you see him continuing to evolve moving into next season
0: uh he's on his greg jennings vibes which i think is pretty cool yeah i think he basically is just gonna have the same role hopefully being more healthy right like i see him playing with dalene uh he's like well not that dalene's bad defensively but you know he takes a lot of risks offensively so he kind of needs a guy that stays home and is good in his own zone and i think samuelson's been excellent with that pretty cool that he was playing with a broken Mm -hmm. hand (laughs) that's pretty wild uh, I guess he really wanted to make the playoffs. Uh, yeah, he's he's been really, really nice surprise. Another guy we weren't thrilled with a couple of years ago, I would say. Not not thrilled with, but like... The
1: draft pick originally didn't seem like it made sense because it felt like they were just taking a maybe high floor player with a very limited yeah, ceiling. Yeah, that's and what I mean. Just, you know... People
0: compared him to Ryan Johnson, who is still not here.
1: Right. What's What's going on there? He's... Not signing. It's my no, opinion. No, you don't think I mean, so? No, he, he,
0: well, I don't even know what his incentive is at this point. He didn't burn the year of his ELC. Uh, this guy just really... He just really likes college, I guess. He
1: just loves it. It's
0: been pointed out that due to COVID, he can actually go back for one more year, but the Sabres will not retain his rights.
1: Mm, which would be a, interesting. a unique
0: situation. But yeah, I think he's... I mean... I. I there's got to be some kind of hang-up. Uh, apparently, it might have to do with whether he starts in Rochester or not. I don't think I have to care that much. He's not... It's... He's not the kind of guy that it's like, oh, we, we really got to get this done. Like, well, Levi, right. He's, I think, whatever. He's he's not any kind of, he didn't like blow away the college hockey world. And he's been there for four years. Mm-hmm. So come or don't come, but I am not. I don't really care that much. It's good. They don't have much defensive depth. So I would take it. But.
1: And if he doesn't sign, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they get a compensatory pick at the end of the second round next year. Sure. In 2024, if he doesn't sign. So just for clarification's sake, if you were wondering about that. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I mentioned it before with Victor Olafson, him hopefully playing his last game in a Sabres uniform. I think the same could, should be said for Henry Yokiharyu. Just a brutal, brutal season here where, uh, he, he, you know, there's been so many guys that have flourished under Granado who have stepped up You would think that Yoki Haru would be the kind of guy that would also fit into that mold, but he just hasn't, and I don't know if you're looking at anything better than a third-pairing guy there, but what I do think you may have is a guy that maybe another team's GM will overvalue a little bit. I mean, he played over 20 minutes a night for them, over 21 minutes a night for them this year, I should say he's a first round pick and we've talked before about of course the the pedigree that comes with that he is only 23 years old so obviously he's still young but oh god it, it just the mistakes were glaring the mental lapses were glaring the lack of this is probably taking it a too like a, a step too far but like just feeling as though he did not have any grasp of like the defensive coverages or, or, or system out there. I mean, he looked lost in his own zone. He would turn the puck over. It was it was a rough year for him. And again, I think as we're talking about this Sabres team turning a corner and really taking this next step, because again, after finishing the year like this, there is no shadow of a doubt that playoffs is the expectation next year. And part of me honestly thinks that maybe it's going to light a fire under Adams a little bit more to not be so reliant on development and just keeping things in house but Yoki Haru does not feel like he has a spot on this team next year cuz where does he really fit you know you're you're thinking your bottom pair is probably going to be if we had to guess right now obviously not knowing what free agency or any trades are going to look like you have Stillman and Labushkin there You still are going to have Bryson under contract. You're going to 100% unequivocally need to upgrade the top four and get power a good partner, and that is not Yoki Haru. So I'm just kind of stuck asking myself, like, where does he fit? Because as we're talking about guys that probably played their way into a roster spot next year, I was very critical of the trade. Still am. Like I don't particularly like... Feel as though I'm like all on board with it, even though he has looked good with them. But I think Stillman, being objective about it, has played his way into being on a, being on the roster next year. So where does Yoki Haru fit?
0: Uh hopefully in a a car on his way to Rochester. That's
1: oh my god.
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I look at it this way. I don't think Rochester it's so much Yoki Haru as one of Yoki Haru and Bryson. Has to go. You can't bring them both back. So you mentioned, you're going to have, let's say, Dalian and Samuelson, hopefully your first pair. Power and, I oh, us say...
1: Damon Severson, Severson, baby. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's Spe- your second pair. Did I- you see Micah's heat maps of him that he posted today? No. Holy Jesus. All right, I'm going to... Taylor, keep talking. I'm going to get this reaction. You will hear when Taylor swears or something in a few minutes... Uh, but go ahead. I'll say,
0: okay, so, okay, so you're going to have that as your second pair. And then you mentioned Stillman. And I think part of the reason he's played well is because he's good chemistry with Labushkin. I think those guys fit well together. So that's your six. One of those guys is going to be your seven. And one of them has to go. Like you can't carry eight defensemen. And neither of those guys has really earned their spot. So to me, it's kind of just equal. Get rid of one of them. I don't care who it is. But like, I understand you're not going to probably get rid of two guys that are under contract. But that, yeah, that's basically the long mm. and short of it for me. Like, yeah, it's been a really disappointing year from both of them. Brayson, I don't know. I just, sometimes with him it just I don't know if it's a lack of confidence, but yeah, it's it's kind of the same. Like, okay, I'm I'm looking at it now. G. <laughs> Willikers, that's incredible. <laughs> Look at that. That's incredible. So he's really good at offense and, and good at defense. Very good too. at defense too. Yep, he is. Oh, let's at get both.
1: Him. The way that uh, Micah had ended up putting it, this was a tweet from. for anybody who wants to go back and find the the his isolated impact. It was from 10.39 p.m. on April 15th. But the way that Micah described it, for those of you who haven't seen it, is that he's extremely strong impact on his team's 5-on-5 offense. He's useful defensively at 5-on-5 and on the PK. And he's above average in front of the goal in two different ways. I mean, it is... It, he's got to be the guy. I, I want Get them... I want them to overspend on him. Like, do it. Someone's gonna have to do it. And if there's, I'm generally speaking, I know most, I would say, sane hockey fans are against overspending in free agency because a lot of times it doesn't work out well. Sometimes a, it does. Sometimes it does, and I think this is a, a a time when it will. He's 28 years old right now. Next year will be his age 29 season. You give him four years, and then. I don't know. More. Six. So I was gonna say four twenty-five. Okay, so I'm a little bit more than you. I'm a little what? bit more.
0: No, you're a little bit less.
1: What?
0: You said six a year? Yeah. Four years? It's twenty-four.
1: Oh, I thought you were saying like four point two five. Oh no 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 per year. Yeah uh, no no four yeah yeah, yeah. okay four my bad twenty-five over four years. Yeah, okay got gotcha, you got gotcha, you got gotcha. you got you. Um.
0: So yeah, I I, I did not realize his impact was that really good, but he always looks good. That makes sense. Is New Jersey really going to let him go, though? I mean, I guess they kind of are up against the cap, wise. They're
1: like, up against the cap, and like again, like that's another scenario where like they have a lot of guys there, like, and they just brought Luke Hughes into the mix. Obviously, sure. their first pair is like untouchable for them right now. I mean. Uh, I don't know. I, it's it's fair to wonder. And also, just for the sake of it, too, for reference, Severson is currently making per year, I think he's at, what is it, like four, five, 4.16 on his current contract right now. So
0: he'll be getting a nice raise. By the way, did you see Luke Hughes first goal was assisted by Jack?
1: Was it really? Yeah, it was an overtime goal. It was a, I saw the goal. I didn't realize Jack had the assist on it. Yeah,
0: it, someone said, I think it was ESPN, because I got the notification that was like a storybook ending. It was like, that would be like the worst story of all time. What do you mean? If I just wrote a book and it ended with, this guy got uh, his brother uh, (laughs) assisted on a goal. What kind of (laughs) book would that be? It just ends like one random game. Not even the playoffs.
1: Okay, that's fair. This is a really
0: stupid book. But yeah, okay, so there, yeah, I didn't even think about Hughes, but Hamilton is obviously getting paid quite a bit uh, of money from them. Jack Hughes is superstar money. He sure gets paid. So yeah, you're right. They're going to... Timo Meyer, I Seeger, think about that.
1: Halter too on their top pair. Uh, I mean, Timo Meyer. They also yeah they have Timo Meyer uh, on their defense. Also, they have Ryan Graves. Like, mm, yeah, can't John Marino. They just they acquired two, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, I don't know. I mean, is are they going to be able to keep him around? It's a fair question. But if they aren't, the Sabers, man, that's got to be their guy. I I know there's other guys out there, but I feel like I'm just talking myself more and more into wanting it to be Severson.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's probably the best option. Yeah. Guys that are realistically going to be available. So, fun. Fun want, stuff. want to play net with Levi. Oh,
1: that's a great question. Not anybody that's in the organization right now. Agree. Um, Eric Comrie said he wants to be back.
0: I want a lot of things. No, well, yeah,
1: that's fair. I should have, <laughs> I should have prefaced that by saying he mentioned that even with Lukanen and Levi here, that he wants to be back, which I think is interesting. But, yeah, I think I am oh, – it's, it's so tough, Taylor, because I want to believe that Levi is going to be able to be in the NHL next year, and he's going to be able to buck the trend, and he's this unicorn, but – Uh, there's just so much going against that, I guess, just like historically speaking. Yeah. And, but I will say though, like he looked good and I think that this is going to be an important off season. I don't think that it's going to be something that's just going to be given to him next year for him being on the team to begin with. But they, again, like I am beyond perplexed at people who think that he should be the 1A next year.
0: It's just... Well, it's optimism, and I get that, and he's played great down the stretch, but it's just, it's so... Risky. It's so risky. That's the thing, like, our plan is, like, the opposite of risk. Yeah. I mean, I know you have to pay someone in this scenario. You're not just getting some, like, you know, scrub backup, Mm -hmm. like, Brian Elliott or whoever. Mm -hmm. Like, you're gonna have to, like, actually, like, give out a, like, a legitimate multi-year contract but, like, okay, then you have a slightly overpaid backup goalie in the best-case scenario. Right.
1: Like, that's... That you're not going to commit too long-term. Yeah, like, and there's plus, a... the
0: other thing is, I think people might not... The People don't mention this as much, but only a handful of goalies play, like, 60 games this year. No one plays 70 anymore. Right. Like, guys don't... They play, like, 50-something games. Olmark is probably going to win the Vesna this year. Shostakovich won it last year. They both played, like, 52 games. Yeah. Like, God, backups play a lot
1: these days they do with the amount of back-to-backs and everything especially I mean the the other side of that too is looking at if Levi is on the roster how many games do you want him to eventually to to play next season and I mean 35 to 40 like that's I feel like a pretty even split but again like I just don't feel comfortable giving him the keys when you can go with a much safer route when playoffs are the expectation next year and and I just don't want to run into a scenario where we're rushing him and he's not looking good at the start of next year. And we're like, well, shit, do we have to send this guy to Rochester so that he can get some games in? Or is he going to be able to keep his head above water up here? So I, I just I look to the, the Carolina goalies like we talked about. I know Varlamov has been an option that's put out there. I, I like the Carolina guys a bit better than I like Varlamov. And again, we'll see what happens once we get a little bit closer to the draft and everything because we'll have a better sense of what guys are going to be available and who will be out there. But I, I I, I want to believe that Levi can just make the jump and just stick and do it. I will never subscribe to him thinking that it's the right move for him to be the 1A. But if they can get the right guy to be that 1A, then I'm much more comfortable with Levi being on the team next year.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I should clarify, I was wrong when we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You're Um, never wrong.
1: What are you talking about?
0: Only when I'm talking about gambling. Okay. Fair. (laughs) Uh, That he actually, uh, UPL cannot be sent down without going on waivers. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. I thought they could just send him down. Did you say that? I did, yeah. I said that they could, I said that they should send Comrie and UPL down to be both Rochester goalies next year. Mm. Uh, But uh, no, no, it turns out. Comrie's a very real possibility. Yo, know, Comrie, yeah, he could, he'll he pass waivers, I mm-hmm. think, basically, no doubt. Especially given the timing. It'll be early October. Most teams won't be able to pick him up. I think UPL, in that same situation, also might, but... I don't. Maybe. The, here's the thing, though. like, It's not doing it in the off season, Doing it in October, it makes for such weird timing.
1: Yeah, I know, but it's still a, a well, Someone young, like Anaheim would do it? Yeah. Okay, whatever. Still Comrie. a young, potentially, I'm using major air quotes, promising goalie.
0: Yes. I also like I don't know, his AHL numbers have not been that good. And the NHL numbers aren't good.
1: No, so. I agree. All right, let's let's wrap this up with talking about the coaching staff here. I Fire think Fire Adam
0: Mayor. Wow.
1: No, I'm just kidding. It's a hot take. No, he's good. I yeah. think I don't Well, know. do you think any changes need to happen? I mean there is obviously the, the penalty kill was bad. The penalty kill was very bad. The offense or the uh, the power play like we talked about. At times, it was looking very bad. They were able to adapt, which I will give them credit for, and also give them credit for the fact that I believe they still finished in the top 10 with yeah. the power play. But there were a lot of stretches where things did not look too good there, and there's also still questionable deployment decisions on that as well. So I think overall, Granado gets high marks for me this year for how well he did, but I do think that there should be a conversation at least about the rest of the staff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's just not even shaking things up in terms of firing people, but just being like, we have to do things differently. Yeah. Like, no doubt about it. The special Tell teams is not good. Sh- yeah, maybe Opozo would be a good uh, person to jump in there. I don't know. I just, I think, yeah, the special teams is a concern, definitely. Yeah. And even when they were doing really well power play-wise, I never loved their structure. Right. They don't inspire a lot of confidence. In fact, I would say like 90% of the reason the power play is so good is because... Tage. Tage, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have they have a Ovechkin uh, level guy, not level, but you know what I mean. No, a guy it's... who could just go to a spot, slap it,
1: absolutely. score.
0: yeah, I think that's a, that's a good example. One more person I actually wanted to bring up is Anderson.
1: Yeah, we should actually Craig Anderson, man, fucking shout out. Like yeah, good guy, good for him, like. dude. He uh, I, I was so glad that they were able to pull that win out for him at home in the home finale and. I don't think you can overstate what he's meant to that locker room. You know, I think a lot of us, understandably to a degree, kind of ragged on bringing him back. I mean, it made sense, but it was like, God, this guy is so old, and how much are you really going to get out of him? But having him around clearly is very impactful to the room and to the young guys, and I think it's just having that kind of a a steady veteran presence in the same way that Opozo is for them, really did wonders for them all, especially Levi getting able to be around him for a good month, UPL getting to be around him for, you know, the entirety of this year pretty much. And again, like ending his career with a team, I mean, it would have been great if we could have made it to the playoffs, but ending his career when last year just, you know, obviously things didn't go totally according to plan. Like they didn't, in terms of points and standings wise, did not have the best year, but Anderson, I just feel like, is a stand-up guy, and he absolutely deserves uh, some credit for, again, what he's meant to the room. So do you have any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, it
0: didn't really even occur to me that he didn't really become a starting goalie until he was, like, 27. Mm-hmm. And so he, the fact that he still won 319 games is, is pretty wild. Like, that's it's, it's a lot that's of remarkable. Yeah, It's remarkable. Yeah, it's one of the highest totals for an American goalie, mm-hmm. right? I mean, top... Ten probably, I'd have to imagine. Yeah,
1: I think it might even be five.
0: Yeah, so that's that, that's awesome. He it's really interesting because I, I mentioned earlier that goalies don't play seventy games anymore. You know, he actually did play seventy games in a season. Come on, for Colorado, did he really? Yeah, and then they traded him. I don't I don't understand that, but yeah, he's the all time leading uh, all time leader in wins for Ottawa. Not that I like that, but good for him. <laughs> um, yeah, he's and he seemed like a stand up guy. People really liked him, and yeah, the goalie rotation did not go according to plan this year, but.
1: Anderson is fifth. Wow. Yeah. Who we have ahead of a Miller? Uh Barasso. Barrasso, Van Beesbrook, and Quick. Jonathan Quick is gonna be interesting, man. Miller's at 391 and Quick is at 375.
0: Uh man, but he's not
1: good. He's not good. And who's he is he's not gonna start next year? No. He might not even play next year, for all we know. Yeah, I don't I that's pretty wild. Is he second? Yeah, he's second.
0: Van Beesbrook, That's a lot of wins for Van Biesbrook. Mm-hmm. Good work. Who the hell is Frank Brimzik? You don't know Frankie? Seven. Born in
1: 1915? Frank? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jimmy Howard being eighth on that list. That's incredible. I played for good teams. Yeah, that's true. Halleybuck is going to get up there, though. I mean, he's at... Halleybuck is is uh, 29 and is at 238 right now. So he's got some... He's probably got another good 300-ish games in him. Probably, yeah. Three, so- four hundred.
0: He'll he'll probably be the all-time leader when he's done. I would have to think. And then Levi.
1: And then, well, Levi is Canadian.
0: That's wrong. Oh, my God. I, so stupid. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to double down. Levi is going to be the all-time leader in Canadian.
1: Wow. Ways. You sure you want to go down that road? Yeah, no one's going to remember I said this shit. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Which
0: is what, 691? Uh, so, let's find out 692 right now. Levi. I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet right now.
1: Oh my God! Well, yeah, Devin Levi, no worries, man. If you want to become the winningest goal uh, Canadian goalie ever, all you gotta do is get 692 wins. That's what, that's his magic number because Brodeur has 691. Well, he's already got like four of them, right? Perfect. He's already almost there. God damn, Brodeur played 1,266 games. That's that is too many games. Insane. Too many games. That's over 200 more than Roberto Luongo. Is he and second? Patrick Waugh. In terms of most games played for Canadian goalies, it's Brodeur first, then Luongo, then Wa, Fleury, and Terry Sawchuk, Followed by Ed Belfour. Wow. Win-wise, though, it's Brodeur, Waugh, Marc-Andre Fleury, Luongo, and then Belfour. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah, I played a lot. Wow. I can't wait for Levi to be better than all of them. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share, Taylor? Uh... Go next. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even say with a straight face. Well, everybody, uh, a couple of things. For one, we're gonna continue with our in memoriam looking back on the season and looking ahead of the off season. Over our next few episodes, Thursday episode is going to be a little bit more zeroed in on each of the players on the roster from this year and who we want to have back next year, what role we want them to be in, and who we don't want to be on the team next year. So make sure you tune in for that episode. And then again, as we're getting into the playoffs, we'll be, of course, doing some playoff coverage. We should probably... We should do a bracket, you and I, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And here's Um, a preview who I don't want on the team next year. Give it to me. Paul Pot. Oh? I think he'd be a bad locker room guy. I would agree uh are we doing
0: a full list of who we don't want on the team or
1: just guys that are on the team now uh i mean if well we could get creative with guys who we don't want on the team how All about right. we do we'll we'll go through and do guys who are on the team who we don't want on and then we can each do our five guys who we don't want to be on the team okay cool okay i can get into that also for what it's worth everybody taylor and i are about to go see the sandman right now we are <laughs> very exciting i want nothing more just than to see opera man happen i just want oh, him to do just God, like a yeah. little a little bit no yeah we're getting ready to go see adam sandler right now so it's gonna be gonna be a great time what's your favorite sandler snl sketch
0: oh wow that's that's a, that's a big question man i gotta i gotta think about that honestly mm. i don't know if i know we'll what report I'm... back
1: on thursday then with that yeah there's a lot of classics there absolutely All right. Well, any last thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off, Taylor? Nope, that's it. Great. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Remember to check out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. After you go and leave us a nice little follow, subscribe, and rating, make sure you're also checking out all of our fellow shows across both networks, and make sure you're following both of our networks on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. Last but not least, make sure you are heading over to DraftKings and using that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals and finally of course Thin Man Brewery we love Thin Man folks and we know you will too so make sure you get over there whether it's for happy hour whether it's for dinner whether it's for a date to catch a playoff game whatever it may be Thin Man is the spot to be like I said we'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday thank you all so much for tuning in this has been Straight Up Savings.